Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com live. Welcome to United Hour, your one-stop shop for all things Manchester United. I'm your host, Nick. I'm Colin. And I'm Alex. Yeah, we're going back in time a bit here to one of the original lineups of this podcast. I don't think all three of us have been on a pod for a long, long time. But yeah, anyone who's been following us for since, yeah, back in football bloody hell days might have remembered this lineup was a regular years ago under Van Hal and things like that. Um, but yeah, we've got big game red Alex, who's turned up for the Liverpool game. <laughs> Not been seen for months and months. Yeah, I mean, Ollie's been winning for a while, so I thought I'd better stay away. And then after tonight's result, I, it was a great chance for me to come back on the pod. Three, <laughs> three losses in eight days, whatever it is. Never a better opportunity to get back on the mic with you, Nick. Yeah, look, let's see, like I say, look, it's not a good day. We're recording half an hour after the game's finished. Not even had a bit of time to digest mm. it and then... You know, there's a lot of things to talk non-football-wise, obviously. There was protest pre-match, and yeah, we will get into the detail of everything. Uh, I mean, look, Colm, you you said to me, oh, I'm not even sure if I can be asked to record, which I totally understand. And we've lost for the first time in years, actually, at Old Trafford in the league to Liverpool. Uh, saw something like 15 matches. We'd won 10 of them. They'd only won one. Klopp had not won at Old Trafford, but mm. unfortunately, it's all happened today. Mm. Uh, so yeah, all a bit depressing. I mean... What's your main takeaway? What's what do you put it down to? It's hard to put it down to anything, just because of how uh, sublime the capitulation was. I mean, there's a there's a ton of factors which I think we'll discuss. Obviously, the frequency of the games, the protests, the choosing to play the full B team against Leicester, all those things. But you know, in terms of the ninety minute of itself, it it was just so ridiculous in the way we started so well and then from about the 15th minute just capitulated to the lowest standard I've seen from that Manchester United team in so long. I mean, the, the defending from back to front was just, it was, you could barely believe what you were watching and it was just a, an absolutely rage-inducing performance. As you say, I was really had to 
reach down into the depths of myself to summon the motivation. And I, it wasn't that I couldn't be arsed to do a pod. I genuinely don't want to talk to anyone after a game like that. And <laughs> I've found during lockdown, it obviously been the same for you, but with no fans in stadiums and not being able to watch football with, you know, my family or my friends who I normally would, and obviously Nick, you not being at the games and stuff like that. But my like emotional response to football has really been muted, as I'm sure lots of people's has. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't really like jump up and shout as much as I used to or, or get as angry as I used to or anything like that. But I mean, if ever there was a game to make me angry, it was today to the point where at the end of the final whistle, after about 20 minutes of me saying nothing, my wife just asked me if I was okay in a really concerned manner because it, I'm just furious with that game. I mean, that was just, it was just so unreal. You know, you don't mind getting beat by a good team, but A, they're not a good team and B, the team that beat us was Manchester United, not Liverpool. Like, it's just, it's just so frustrating. Yeah, I mean, the real shame is that obviously it's everything is dominated by off-the-field matters. And yeah, you know, at the moment as well, it's one of these games where it was a big deal for Liverpool and it's not actually a big deal for us. And maybe a lot of that is what ends up being this performance today. I mean, it's still not acceptable really, is it? Um, but yeah, you know, we have been pretty good coming into this, but a, a really bizarre kind of week or two leading up to it. And But, you know, we had a pretty good performance against Aston Villa. Then, of course, we've not recorded after that Leicester game where we've put out basically a B team. Mm. And, yeah, actually, who put in quite a good fight, really. Uh, you know, went down 2-1 to a set piece. And again, again, today we're recording and moaning about set pieces. Uh, but, yeah, Alex, I bet you thought in four months being off the podcast we would have sorted out our set piece defending by now. <laughs> uh, yeah, you would have hoped so. I mean, we're definitely better than we were, right? Um, but you know we've we've taken Slap and Maguire out as well and that obviously makes a big difference not just on the set pieces but overall you know I've been a huge critic of him uh, on on the podcast but he clearly has grown into the role has huge influence Ollie trusts him more than than any other player and it's not just telling about the, the quality that Maguire has but also the others on the team and the the follow-ups when he's not around. Like, to me, Lindelof... I like Lindelof, but he's the Portuguese Johnny Evans. Like, he needs to be beside... Portuguese? Portuguese? First Portuguese. I've heard of it. Hey, it's all the same if they're not English, right? That's, that's what this is. We're not even close here, you know. At least he is, like, uh, you know, Norway or something. Like he's he's played in Portugal. He's played in Portugal. Yeah. He came from Portugal. Yeah, to yeah us. true. Nice. Fair enough. Fair let you off. Let you off. Uh, Swedish Johnny Evans will put that bit. Um, I think that's quite harsh on Johnny Evans to be fair and I'm not just saying that he's a fellow Northern Irishman but you know I don't know if you Johnny Evans at Leicester is a different proposition to Johnny Evans he needs to have a leader next to him he doesn't need the spotlight on him he you know needs the team to be settled the goalkeeper behind him to be strong and when he's when he's in that setup he can do a great job but as soon as he's the leading man, as soon as he's in charge of that back line, things start to fall apart and he's yeah. uh, extra prone to mistakes. And not that, you know, Lindelof was a great fault today or was the worst culprit by any means, but, you know, the combination of Maguire not being there and then there being no leader to step up in his place and yeah. the usual rashness that Bray brings. Like, as, as soon as, you know, that... Um, I think it all kind of somewhat stemmed from that, from that penalty that we almost gave away and that was then overturned. But it felt like from that point, the errors started creeping in and the concerns started creeping in and, and a bit of acceptance that actually 
you know, they they may work their way back into it and also seem to give them a lot of confidence as well. I mean, like, I have quite a lot of sympathy for Lindelof, but I totally agree with your assessment in terms of him not being the leading man and not being that player who's going to step up and, and uh, kind of be counted when you're maybe missing other very vocal and important players. But I have a lot of sympathy because I think you could probably have... 2006 Fabio Cannavaro there and if you put Eric Bay beside him you'd see similar issues because he has to just be a panic inducing influence on any defender <laughs> he, he manages to play beside I mean the thing with Bay is he does he does good things and yet there's just this constant inescapable march toward disaster whenever he's yeah. on the pitch it is just guaranteed absolutely guaranteed and I don't know if like six months of regular football would cure that you know but with his injury record and his proneness to mistakes he'll never get that you know I, I, I really think that could be a, a really particularly with two and Zabi looking decent against Leicester I thought absolutely the pick of the the back line and um, mm. I would just so much rather the minutes went to him so much rather well you know what we say about Eric Bay, don't we use the he's the Portuguese Phil Jones Spanish Spanish he came from where but yeah look this is going to be the big, well, that is going to be the big question mark because it was a saying, look, that is the main takeaway for me for this game is that we've missed Harry Maguire massively. That is the big difference and it affects the entire team. As you say, it's not even just his defensive ability. It's like the organisation at the back and then that feeds off into the midfield in front of him. Uh, you know, possibly you can't kind of say he has that much effect more on the attack. But yeah, he actually does bring the ball out a fair bit. So there is an influence there. But yeah, that is the main takeaway. And he's not going to be available for the next couple of games. And I'd say that to me, it's very unlikely that he's going to play in the Europa League final. Because, uh, mm. you know, if you've not played for like three or four matches, it's difficult to come straight in. But, you know, let's know. see how he recovers. But he'd play, on, he'd play on crutches, I think. Who? Well, who plays if he's not available? Is it Bailly? Is it Tuanzebi? Uh, you know, Tuanzebi had his kind of chance midweek and did, yeah, I think relatively well. And I've said all season that he's one of the main players that I think should have had more minutes this mm. year. And I was kind of, yeah, so he's top of my list of players who should have played a bit more this year. And I do think it's been slightly frustrating how many he's had. But He's had a very mixed bag of a season as well, though, hasn't he? But I, I do feel that he hasn't been given the proper chance and opportunity. I mean, something that you can say about this game is that it kind of, it shows and validates in a way Ollie's reason to start Maguire every game regardless. But then it also makes you think, well, actually, how are we ever meant to cope without him if you never give players a chance to step mm. up and to build those partnerships and relationships with each other? That then when he is out, it's a total farce because, you know, it's something that that's completely new to absolutely everybody on the team. So, so I guess you can look at it in, in both ways, right? Also, I think like there, there is definitely a big focus on on the back line, obviously, for how shambolic our defending was. And there was so much last-ditch, poor, frantic defending and so much poor play on the ball as well, trying to play out. However, I also thought, particularly the two in front, but not just them, I think the attackers as well, have also some culpability in that. Because oh, the whole team mentality after we scored the goal just capitulated to the point where you know, Fred and McTominay couldn't show for a pass, couldn't make a pass. We're just giving the ball to them in ridiculous positions, leaving our defence completely wide open, offering absolutely no cover. And I mean, the whole point, literally we talked about it a pod and a half ago or whatever, saying that Pogba on the left is, a, is an interesting sort of tactical option for us because it allows you to have your Fred and McTominay that Ole loves and Pogba can definitely do a job there. And, you know, it has worked previously in other games, but 
in this game, it, it, it didn't work in any way, shape or form. And if you aren't going to get solidity from Fred McTominay, what on earth are you getting? Because particularly I thought McTominay today, although they were both absolutely woeful, but McTominay looked like, just looked like the heaviest footed performance I've ever seen from. And, he, and he's had a very bad few weeks, I think, but it just, he just couldn't get the ball under control. And, you know, yes, the, that Liverpool midfield is extremely good, like it is, even though they've been poor lately. But like that, to me, that caused a lot of the defensive issues as well, was how bad we were in possession and in front of the defence. Yeah. Yeah, McTominay definitely had a poor game. And you know, one of my favourite stats is the passing accuracy. And McTominay's actually had the most touches of anyone in our team today, 85 touches, 70% passing accuracy, which from a midfielder is not acceptable. To be fair, it was probably like 90 before he went back to centre-back and started trying to hit Hollywood balls over the top for the last 20 minutes of the game to, to absolutely no yeah, success was, whatsoever. Like, it was just bizarre. I mean, shouldn't forget that. But yeah, I mean, it was actually only really for like the last five minutes, 10 maximum, because, uh, you know, Bayer comes out in the 85th minute. But yeah, he comes back into defence for the end of the game. But it's all his bad play was before that. I mean, yeah, just for comparison, Fred's at... 83%, mm. uh, Bruno at 83%. So, yeah, to see that McTominay's at 70, yeah, it really is shameful. Uh, I mean, yeah, Pogba actually is around that as well, which yeah. is one of the issues today. 70% for Pogba also had a lot of touches, so involved a lot in our play. And, yeah, that's yeah, that's the kind of areas where we've lost this match today, really, just giving the ball away, all those players. Um and yeah, we shouldn't forget, we actually started this game well, in a way. We're 1-0 up after 10 minutes. Uh, that's when you knew that like we had no chance of winning the game right I think yeah. as soon as that goal went in everyone was like oh no yeah the fatal fatal <laughs> error from us to go 1-0 up this isn't yeah. the script it's like the 14th minute are you sure are you sure you know like oh. I, I, I'm only ever confident playing Liverpool when we're the shit one which has been really yeah. good for me the last few years but we have to be the shit one for me to be confident against Liverpool then the game gets called off because of our fans not well We'll go into that later, but anyway, the game gets called off, rescheduled, is put into this hectic week of games. You then have, what, three games in five days, was it? Three games in five days, and uh, like you say, we rest all the plays against Leicester, so as soon as you do that, you know yeah. that then there's extra pressure on winning that Thursday game, or you look like total mugs, which yeah. you know convinced me further. And then when we go and score that goal, it's like, ah, okay, there we go, might as well turn off now. But there it is. I think. I think uh, just going back to the points around, like it's beyond, It's more than just the defense. I would totally agree with that. But I do think that it's one of those where, you know, as soon as the defense is a bit shaky, and also you you take away Maguire's calm and composure on the ball. Like I, I don't. I've never felt that he's as strong on the ball as some would have you believe. But he's definitely calm and composed, and he doesn't really tend to get a great deal of. You know, the team don't. The opposition team don't tend to press him a great deal. He's not seen as a as a weak link in that, and he can bring the ball out quite well. So you take that away as well. You put Lindelof on the other side when he's had quite a lot of success with his right foot over the top and and bringing out recently. So you know there was a bit of shakiness there. And then I think Fred and McTominay have shown that they are very much prone to the to the high press when we're not set up in a deep line for that. You know, if you put if you put them in a back six against a team with with a high press, they they can absolutely cope with that. But when we're kind of in this halfway house, somewhat up the pitch, at sometimes seemingly having a really high line at the halfway line and at other points a bit all over the place, um, 
then they just they, they don't have that same confidence and composure. And as soon as there's one or two straight passes, it just seems to get in their head and, and continues yeah. further down that path. Fred in particular is, is definitely, um, you know, very prone to that. I mean, even as bad as we were, it is still 1-1 and you look like you're going into half time. Mm. And then yet again, it's a set piece where just inexcusable defending, uh, you know, actually a bit of a stupid free kick to give away in the first place uh, from Pogba and then poor marking from him, really. I don't really see who else it can come down to. But, you know, again, you say, yeah, and Maguire not being there, even when he's there, we've seen that it's a big weakness of ours. So him not being there, just totally falling apart. And I don't know at what point we can sort out this kind of set-piece defending because again and again, it kills us. And it's that timing of that goal going into half-time, which is an absolute killer because it just changes everything. Whereas, you know, we weren't doing great, but you say, look, we get to half-time, come out for an improved second-half performance. And of course, I mean, calm within what two minutes of the second half, it's like, oh, you know, yeah. game over I mean, pretty much. Goals at those kind of times really kill off games, you know, like just we always say it just before the end of the half is a great time to score, just you know, after you kind of catch the team cold and it really sets the pattern. I mean, that second for me, your goal for me killed the game. I appreciate yeah. we got that, we got that goal back and we had chances after that. Obviously, Mason had one clear off the line and stuff like that, but really, it always felt like Liverpool were just as likely to score another as we mm. were. And I was actually surprised we did come back into it as well as we did because it was just such a shambles at that point. And, you know, it's just honestly that from the 15th minute to the 60th minute, we were just playing like pub football. It was crazy. Like that, that, that just, that complete capitulation because Liverpool, I didn't think, were extremely good today and we started quite well we were pressing very high we were actually playing good football and creating chances we had chances before our goal and then we scored a decent goal yes okay it was fortunate with the deflection but it's still a well-worked piece of play well played by Wan Bissaka um, and, and we looked dangerous and we looked like the better team and then as soon as we went 1-0 up and Liverpool kind of got a little bit angry or whatever it was and started to press us a little bit better it, it, it was just complete collapse to the point of people looking like absolute like just not professional football is absolutely crazy to me. Yeah, um, I gen I genuinely believe that we surprised ourselves ourselves to be one 0 up at that stage of the game, and there wasn't re- like the players didn't know whether they should continue in the same way or whether to drop off or not. And like I said, you just kind of had like a mismatch of ambition in the game at that point. Well, I still just think within the squad generally, and I think this has been proven time and time again despite Ole doing extremely well with them that there's just still real fragility there there's a lack of maturity and a lack of belief within ourselves it's very incongruous in many ways that we're so good at coming from behind and yet can't play on the front foot or can't hold a lead you know the things don't really match up you know and you can hold up our ability to come back and play away from home as great examples of progress but if you can't win at home and you can't go one nil up and just continue to play a good football it it can't always be such a, a you know a on the one hand, it's very good. On the other hand, it makes no sense whatsoever. One of those mm-hmm. things should be easier. There should be some middle ground for us to just, you know, have a bit of confidence in the way we play it. And I do think it is coming, but this is kind of like a, a little pull back to reality to say this team is not really where we think it is. You know, we're four points better off than our total of points last year with two games left. It's definitely good progress. Obviously, winning the European League final would be brilliant. But talk of a title challenge, you know, without serious investment this summer, I think today has indicated again that that's, that's still miles off. 
Yeah, I mean, look, obviously it is a bit of a killer of a result today, but you shouldn't forget, like I said, like, you know, in the big picture, we're still doing all right. This game didn't matter that much for us. Uh, we did come back into this game and it goes back to a big question of Pogba now all of a sudden his People are almost saying his first choice position is kind of attacking left. Uh, the problem is Rashford goes right and he never looks comfortable yeah. there. I mean, it's no coincidence that Fred goes off, Greenwood comes in on the right, Rashford then goes back into what you think is his first choice position on the left. And within minutes, he's actually scored the goal to bring us back into the game. Um I mean, partly as well, Pogba has been playing on the left because he's been doing so well, but today he did not have a good game. No. Maybe you can give credit to Trent. He's had a decent game after not such a great season. Today he was actually on form and was one of the big differences. And there's also from Luke Shaw, who's been, you know, possibly our player of the season. We didn't see a lot. That left side for us didn't work today. Uh, Shaw, Pogba, Liverpool definitely must have focused on that because they'd seen how much is happening for us. Once Mourinho left, Maguire had to come in and coach Shaw through the games. So when Maguire wasn't there today, Shaw had nobody telling him what to do, you see. Hey, you know, maybe there's something in that. Uh, you know, <laughs> for some reason, like I say, that left side was not happening. And in fact, our goal was coming from the right. Aaron Wan-Bissaka with another assist, uh, assuming this goal gets given to Bruno uh, rather than own goal. And I think at the moment it is officially given to Bruno, which I hope because he was my captain of my fantasy team this week. Um, but yeah, look, uh, that is going to be a big issue for the rest of this season. Uh, because it's going to be the question mark of who starts for us in that final. Pogba left or Rashford left? That is the question. Colm, who, who, who's your first choice at the moment on that left side? Um, for the rest of the games this season and for the final, I would want Rashford there. Uh, I think it has and to be... Where and does, where does Pogba play then? Pogba plays six. I, th I think you have to... I, I've got a lot of sympathy. I've got a bit of sympathy, although I do think it's kind of a problem we're all making. Ole is so so committed to the four two three one, which is fine. That's that's your formation, and you have the players you have. But we've been going for so long with both Fred and McTominay being together, almost one competent midfielder, one extremely good midfielder kind of thing. But when as soon as you take one of them away from the other, it stops working. And if you pop up back there, it's difficult to then have that full trust in teams not being able to just get by us very very easily and in behind us and that becomes that becomes even more difficult when you haven't got my Maguire behind them as well well of course but the, the Maguire problem is is a new problem but I, th I think even more long term through the whole season you know that this kind of issue with McTominay and Fred has been building and building and um, particularly since McTominay's form has deserted him and, and his his lowest level is really too low for a Manchester United midfield I am increasingly fed up with us being leaning towards being solid and being good on the ball really if you know what I mean I would really like to see us now take that next step to have a bit of confidence in our football and our attackers and our defenders and say we want to actually control games and dictate the pace of games and play with the right footballers in the right places and I, and I think it either means a change of formation or just a, in the summer buying a proper proper central defensive midfielder and and moving away from this McTominay Fred thing because I, I don't think it's its highest level is good enough you know I just don't think it's there I think you'll have periods of being extremely solid I think if you're playing big teams and they can sit in like Alex kind of pointed to before it can work extremely well but I think we have to move past that now and we have to be a, a good ball playing team and I just don't think they're ever going to give you that and as for Pogba and Rashford I mean 
it's just going to crucify Rashford, really. You, you know, as you say, Nick, it was it was so immediate the impact. You know, in terms of having that threat down the left, having an actual runner in behind, and obviously the goal came straight away. And Pogba can absolutely do a job on the left, but it shouldn't be it shouldn't be the standard thing, particularly now that Greenwood's emerged as a much better right winger than Rashford will probably ever be out there. So, it 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 robs too many people to fit in Paul Pogba. You should just have a bit more faith, I think, and say we trust to be able to play the, the right kind of football with Pogba at six, with whether that's Fred or McTominay beside him. Although I do think that will lead you into some different issues in terms of being a bit more defensively liable. And I, my big hope is we just get through this season, win that trophy, and then spend some money on a ready-made central midfielder. See if we don't buy a midfielder this this summer who can walk straight into that midfield and play with Pogba in you know 60% of the games or play with Fred or, or solve that issue. I will be so disappointed because it's it's so glaringly obvious that we just miss a player there. Yeah, and you know we'll definitely cover a lot more of the transfer stuff. There's already some of the rumor mill building because we're just a few weeks to the end of the season now. I mean, not even like a couple of weeks, basically. Um, we do actually have this weird like five day break now, which is why everybody was so annoyed on why we had to play this match with just two days rest and then go into like a five day break to the next game, which doesn't really make that much sense. But that's what's been decided. And yeah, some will say, look, it's our own fault because obviously the game was called off um, due to our side rather than Liverpool's. Um, and, you know, before this game today, there was fans out there trying to get this game called off again. Uh, I mean, Alex, I don't know. Do you think that kind of this pre-match, what's going on there, change of kind of the team's pre-match rituals and pre-match schedule and all this kind of hoo-ha and coverage of is the game going ahead, do you think that's affected the players? Do you think that's part of it today? I mean, maybe, probably, but, you know, both both teams are in the same situation and it's an incredibly weird situation and season or so anyway because of COVID, right? So they've had to deal with all sorts of weird disruption different routines, different schedules. And actually, United were one of the teams who who led the way in being professional and being able to, you know, get their heads down and get on with it and and actually seem to benefit from from that change more than a lot of other teams. So, you know, yeah, yeah, maybe it did. I'm, I'm sure that it did affect the plays. And I actually think that that could have contributed to overall why I thought that it was actually a game that had, had quite a lot of, you know, poor quality play. But I don't necessarily think it's an excuse um, for, for our performance levels being as low as they were. I don't think today makes an impact. You know, I don't think, obviously, there was a, a big police presence. There was all kinds of continuity plans there to make sure that they had the processes in place yeah. to make sure it was safe and it would go ahead. So I, I think the disruption today would be minimal. The disruption comes, I think, from the first, the initial game. The initial game, game And then also that yeah, coming absolutely. into having to play so many games in such a short period of time. I think the kind of media focus then on that and the fact that it was Manchester United who kind of caused this issue compounded then by the kind of, um, I thought, very overblown reaction to the Leicester team that we put out. And as Alex pointed out, I mean, when you have those games in quick succession brought on by kind of a situation of our fans making right or wrong, you know, whatever your view is on that. And then when you supposedly disrespect the sanctity of the league by, you know, playing men that you named in your 25-man squad or whatever, 
But by doing that, you know, you say we don't care about this game, we care about the next game. And then when that happens, it kind of builds up this kind of pressure and narrative around that game that I think was always going to be hard to escape tonight. You know, I think for us to come out and put on a clinic and beat Liverpool 4-0 was just never going to happen because you just amp up that pressure on yourself and, and you make the game probably more than it ever was. A, because it couldn't go ahead at the normal time. B, because of the protests around it. C, because you've just played however many games in however many days. And then D, because you've you've played effectively a joke team versus Leicester and therefore put your eggs in this game's basket. Yeah. And all those things combined. I mean, every football fan just wants to recoil at those things because it doesn't really... You just knew catastrophe was around the corner. You know, the fact that we played so hilariously bad, you know, Dean Henderson spilling everything around him, defenders trying to give away penalties and passing straight to their players, the general complete lack of any kind of footballing ability on show from our team was almost guaranteed. It's almost just was written in the stars because of all the things that led into that game. So I think the disruption comes from the week before. I don't think today, you know, really, because there wasn't really any big drama around it today, you know. Yeah, I, w- I would totally agree with that. And I mean, the, the game against Leicester, there's still disruption to your planning and preparation for this game today, even if the players didn't get on the pitch. And then some of those players did get on the pitch. Yes, not for a great deal of time, but they still had to warm up, get on the pitch. And that still disrupts the, the routine and the preparation and, you know, the ability to feel fresh for today. But So I would totally agree. Like, I don't necessarily think the additional... Um, you know, the additional measures today have much difference, but the overall effect of, of the repeat uh, fixture and everything that goes with it, I would absolutely agree with. What I would say more, though, is that I actually think that there's probably a case to be made for, you know, the fact that, is, as you started the podcast with Nick, this was a much more important game for Liverpool, and actually we're not in a position where we have to win this game. And, and I think you could say that it's not something that this team, this group of players and under Ollie's management that we've been used to. And those few glimpses we have had where we're somewhat ahead of the curve and ahead of where we should be, we have started to then fall down a little bit. Like if you want to go on a on an isolated game basis, you can look back to only last week against Roma where, you know, we had a 6-2 lead going into that game and still somehow managed to to make it much more difficult than yeah. it needed to be. But on a, on a more macro scale... You can look at the fact that in Ollie's first season, we caught up to the degree where actually it looked like we should be the natural contenders for that top four position and then fell away at the last hurdle. Or that earlier this season, we were first and you could make a case for, you know, was going on to, to provide a real title challenge. And instead, we just kind of faltered and never really believed in ourselves and didn't take that challenge head on and then, then fell away a little bit. And then again, we're now in this period where actually we've kind of we've got top four that's done that's sealed and we don't really then know what to do with ourselves it feels to me a little bit so I would actually say that you know the the impact of us not needing to go and win this game and it having less meaningful is even though yes it's Liverpool but it's not the same for the players and it's still you know going to take a bit of that edge away and I think that probably uh had an even bigger impact 
Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I mean, I don't, I'd say, look, there probably is some impact on the team from everything that's going on, uh, you know, because you can't say they've had this normal pre-match routine. Today, they've had to get to the ground six hours early, be around there. You know, it's going to make some kind of difference. But to me, the actual much bigger difference today is just the lack of Harry Maguire being there. Him being out the team is the number one reason to me. And that's much bigger than anything going on with the protests and things like that. Affects the whole team all the way through. And, you know, it goes to, and, you know, the big shame is that obviously Liverpool are massively missing centre-backs, as we know. We, You know, they've had yeah. more time to get used to it. But yeah, it was a big shame that we did not have enough of Cavani really testing, you know, Phillips and yeah. Williams. Like, you know, it's really like a championship centre-back pairing and we've not tested them enough. And that is the big shame for me. And it goes back to that first game we had against Liverpool where even after that game, people were a bit disappointed because we'd been on decent form. They were on bad form. We came out nil-nil. And I remember that day we were kind of saying, look, it's an all right result, but it's a shame we've really not tested their mm. makeshift defence. And again, it's that story that just even though we didn't really need this in terms of kind of bragging rights, you know, fan banter, we've really missed out a big opportunity uh, to stop them, you know, obviously getting close to the Champions League and to cement our second place. Those, you know, that's where we've missed out. And that is the kind of disappointment. But yeah, in the grand scheme of things, top four is secure you know, we should even be top three is more or less secure and uh, we should be looking at second place, even last two matches coming up with the uh, Fulham and Wolves. And yeah, we'll see where we go from there. Yeah, I think the, the frustration, as you, it's completely correct that it's essentially a meaningless game from us outside of the fact that it's Liverpool and we can possibly deny them a run towards top four. Um, but that, the kind of annoying thing for me was, we started well, we were playing well, and that that's not a good, it's not, at the moment, it's not a good Liverpool team. You know, it's not that it's not, there's plenty of good players there, but they're not a good Liverpool team at the moment. They're not playing well, and they've had their fill of comedic, hilarious, horrendous defending throughout the season. But when you look at their centre-backs, you look at our centre-backs, it shouldn't be us that are capitulating like that team-wide, you know, and I, I absolutely think that when you're playing at that level and you lose that little 5% of motivation in terms of a, you know, a reason why I think you're absolutely right, Alex, that the Roma game was a perfect example of it because that that was just total down tool situation because we knew the tie was won and it was won and that's fine, but it's not the best trait in the world to have. And it is, it is annoying to see because we had the quality there today to cause them huge issues. You know, we did in the first 15 minutes and we did in the latter stages of the game. And it was just us that decided we we, we completely lost our heads, you know, and, and just disappeared after they came back into it. You know, it wasn't, wasn't some amazing tactical change or some uplifting level from them. It was us not knowing what to do with ourselves, being mm. 1-0 up against a team that are nowhere near us in the league. Like, that's... That's just not a very good indicator of where the team's at. And I do appreciate all those things. Maguire's, I agree, completely a huge miss. The season is, you know, dead and buried in the league. City are literally champions already at this point. So what are the players out there playing for? And I do accept all that. But you still go out and play football. And we just had the quality to do so much better there today. And for that many people to have that that much of an off day is just, it is just, it's frustrating. Yeah. And with respect, I mentioned Maguire right at the start of this programme. But we have seen many a performance like today's with Maguire in the team. Uh, you know, let, let's not pretend that... Yeah, it's, it's this, not notion of calm, you know, yeah. it solves all of our problems. I do think he's a huge miss. Absolutely. But, absolutely. but I, I think I think that performance would be not dissimilar if he was... I don't think it would be, you know, totally dissimilar if he was in the squad. You know, obviously we could have done better, but I don't know that that is just the be-all and end-all in terms of that, you know, as bad as Bay was. Well, I don't know. We haven't played like, you know, as bad as this for a long time, really. Uh, you know, we've been on good form and 
we haven't lost a game for a long time. Uh, I'm not counting that Leicester one because it's kind of a bit of a weird one. Oh, right. Roma? Yeah. yeah, not counting that either. Oh, okay. <laughs> 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 that one was already done and dusted, and yeah, that, yeah. I actually think that our, you know, so-called B team had a pretty good go at Leicester. I was actually pretty mm. worried when we went one down in that game that we could get absolutely spanked, and you know, was pleasantly surprised when we came back to one-one. And again, set-piece goal is what kills us. Uh, we had one chance in Tokyo. Yeah, I mean, there was the odd other chance to come, you know, the Bruno had a chance late on that could have nicked us a point mm. and made a kind of difference. But yeah, at that point, you know, is a thing of saying maybe we didn't mind losing to Leicester. Again, it's like, I'm sure the players minded and Ole definitely wanted to get back into it. You could tell by his subs, but there was a lot of fans at home saying, yeah, I'm all right with losing this game because, yeah, what it means to Liverpool. Uh, you know, they're now obviously back in that top four race we'd love to see them end up in this Europa Conference League or whatever that is uh, you know I think a lot of people might not even realise that this thing is going to kick in next season a whole new kind of third third rate European competition that they've dreamed up uh, Europa Conference League but yeah Liverpool are doing their best to stay out of it over there and uh, yeah look, we'll have to see what happens um, the only slight you know I'm not that bothered about this game but the thing is we have to obviously pick ourselves up yeah. we've got two matches left of the season which are kind of like dead rubbers for all the teams because it's Fulham who are already down. It's Wolves who've had a kind of waste of a season. They're mid-table. They've not been as good as they've been for a couple of years. Uh, so, yeah, none of the teams are going to be firing all cylinders. But, yeah, we it's our, it's our preparation for the Europa League final. For us, it's all about that game, which is basically, you know, two weeks yesterday. And... Uh, we can't just sit around doing nothing and say we turn it on there. We've got to go into it in some kind of decent form and decide what is going to be our first choice team for that day. Yeah, it's a tough balance to, to find really because there's a hell of a lot of players in this team who desperately need a rest and clearly, uh, are, you know, going going to be going into that final with some fatigue. But at the same time, like you say, you want to make sure that you've got some momentum, that, you know... If we are going to look to play Twanzebi in that final, we need to get him in now. If we're going to play Bayer and Lindelof, then we should give them a couple of games in, in those positions to build back that relationship that you know they haven't had for some time. So, yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a tough one to find, really. But I completely agree with you. For me, we need to make... what I guess what I don't want to see is, you know, you go back to the likes of the Greenwood on the right because we're... We're going to rest a couple of players in, in against Fulham and then rest, you know, a few other players against Wolves. And that allows us to to play a more balanced team in both of those games. But then the final comes and we just go back to playing, you know, the best 11 names, but not necessarily the best 11 for the match. And uh, that that's kind of, you know, my concern and the frustration for me. Yeah, and you know, one of the big things to mention as well about that Fulham game that is going to be coming up is that we're going to have fans back in the stadium for the first time in over a year. Uh, I think actually, Alex, you were with me at the game, weren't you? End of March last year, the Manchester derby, which was the last time we've been at Old Trafford. Yeah, the uh, the McTominay, was it 2-0, 2-1, 2-0? It's Man City. McTominay scored late. Yeah. I think was it three one? I don't know. Anyway, I've forgotten. But I just remember. Great day. That, yeah, we obviously great game, great finish. But yeah, it's been more than a year. We probably shouldn't have been <laughs> at that game, to be honest. I guess United played that game. Was it against West Ham, uh, where there was fans in the stadium? 
did we? Was it? Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Was it, was it not against West Ham where Bruno came on at half-time and we ended up coming back and winning 3-2? It was that game Henderson cleared it down the line and I'm sure that there was uh, fans that went out, yeah. that game. Yeah. yeah, maybe, maybe. I don't actually, yeah. Totally remember, but yeah, maybe. Um, but yeah, this will be the first game back against Fulham, and I've actually decided I didn't apply for this game. It was the ballot's gone out. Season ticket holders, members could apply. I kind of don't really want to go back in the stadium myself until things are kind of relatively back to normal. Mm. I mean, Man United sent out this list of what you have to do pre-match before going to the game, how things are going to be at the game, and it just didn't sound like it was going Nick's, to be much fun. Next, not all. going back until the Glazers are gone. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, I'm I'm not quite on that. Yeah, there's a lot of people actually who are saying that we'll get a bit more deep into the protest stuff. But yeah, I did just want to focus on what is the good news of fans finally the first step getting back into the stadium. Uh, There will also be some fans who will have the chance to go out to the Europa League final. It's only going to be a couple of thousand. Again, there's all sorts of restrictions. You have to have COVID tests before you fly to Poland. You have Mm. to quarantine for 10 days when you come back. So again, I know a lot of people who were like, it was a really difficult decision, you know, would love to have gone to that game and just said, listen, it is not worth the ball ache that we're going to have to go through uh, to go to this but yeah look both games will still be sellouts uh, I know the ballot results for that Fulham game are out and yeah a lot of people have already missed out but yeah there will be all those tickets taken and people will be at that match and yeah I know there's some people that's it who are saying look I'm boycotting I don't want to go and that's more due to a whole not a penny more to the Glazers. I mean, that's not the reason I'm not going, I have to say. For me, it's more about COVID issues and how the match experience is going to be. You know, I want to go back to when it is the kind of full stadium and hopefully by the start of next season, it will be like that. But, you know, at the moment, there's a lot of people who are still desperate to get back in there, desperate to, you know, sing and see Cavani in the flesh, to give the lads a good cheer. Uh, You know, they've not had the chance. after It it has been a good season for us. You know, Ole has done a good job. And that is like, the slight issue with all the things going off off the field and you know I said we had this the, I was with Imran on the last show we talked about the protests and for me you know I was fully behind it and I said that first game that I got called off I was behind the fans and even though things maybe went a little bit further than should have done with people getting to the stadium I could understand it and but today I did want to see a game I don't want to see our whole season totally derailed by things that are off the pitch and that is the kind of thing of finding the balance between where you want the club to be in the boardroom and how things are affected there and not negatively impact the team on the pitch because you know I've been a big supporter of Ole and I'm so happy that finally things have come together. We've done pretty well. And, you know, for things that are off the pitch to start affecting, that becomes an issue. Uh, you know, there is a end of our fan base, you might say, at the more extreme end, who wanted the game to be called off again today. There's some people who have this kind of almost what you'd call a scorched earth policy that they think that if matches are called off, maybe the team will be dot points. We're going to lose a lot of money and that this is the way to force the glazers out. Uh, for me, that starts going a little bit too far um, just because I don't think that that will force the Glazers out and it'll just end up negatively affecting all the good work that Ole and this squad have done. Um, I mean, Colm, I don't know where you're at on this kind of thing because I know last time you've been on, we were talking all about the Super League and stuff like that, but you've not been on the last couple of shows where we've had quite a lot of chat about the protests and everything around it. Uh, So, you know, there's a lot of different schools of thought. I know we even had like people like David and Ed who were in our kind of podcast chat and they were saying, look, this is too far now and it's too much and, you know, 
that's the other side of it. There's you know, so there's all sorts of different opinions going on now there. So yeah, where where are you at on this kind of scale at the moment? Uh, it's difficult. Um, I mean, the, the ASL and all that kind of stuff. I just thought it was absolutely abhorrent. Um, uh, not a fan of the Glazers in in any way, shape, or form. I do, however, have a big fear as to as to what's coming after them, and also, I I just am largely pretty apathetic towards it now because I think whilst it's it's a, a great effort I do wonder what the real value of a lot of this stuff actually is um and, I, and that's very difficult but I would say it's it's kind of an each their own situation as well you know I, I would absolutely respect anyone's willingness to do it as long as it was done um in a a relatively peaceful manner you know people talk about peaceful things and, and other things going too far and the fact you always get a few head the balls doing something stupid but equally you know things will just kind of happen like that as well you know and you have to make some form of a statement and i do think they've done that extremely well it, it's just a question now of where it goes because i agree with you i don't think you know causing obstruction to buses and roads and members of the public and uh, players and um is, is necessarily a a I think a thing that can be maintained as a policy, you know, from from a from an uncoordinated fan group. I just don't see how that's working. Um, I also don't love the kind of um, tactics against sponsors and things like that. I, I think it's it's just so difficult because as fans, you know, we're not we're not this big joined up organization that can kind of pull, pull resources and brainstorm and have all that kind of stuff. You know, it's all very fractured and uh, difficult and you have that kind of core um, who are then representing United fans everywhere. And I don't think they've re- represented United poorly at all. I think it's been um, something that was absolutely needed, but I, I do, I do wonder what the end game is. Do you know what I mean? And I do just feel pretty apathetic. I, I just think that we, you could cause absolute havoc for a pretty long period of time. And I'm not even sure it would make any difference to the Glazers at all. I really think they are extremely entrenched um, and that anything that is achievable should be geared towards working with them, not just this, as you say, scorched earth. And I know that's not a popular opinion. It's not a nice th- thing. That's probably me being a bit defeatist in my acceptance of it all. Do you know what I mean? But I also feel like we've just been so you know, far down this road with how how much the whole monetization of football and particularly Manchester United has come that to kind of hop off the bus now is just so difficult, so difficult, you know. So part of me is just quite um, apathetic towards it all, really, and I just think they are here to stay and that the, any small margins we can get to kind of represent fans more would be a win. But to be honest, all the noise is coming out at the moment and, like, work starting on Old Trafford, scaffolding going up and them talking about how they want to engage with the fans. Like, you just have no trust in it whatsoever. I, I just think it's, it's you know, I think they'll spend big this summer and then just go back to running the club whatever way they want, as they always have done. Yeah, look, it is a very interesting time off the pitch. There's been all sorts of things going on. You know, this week we've always always had these other stories where like Casey Stoney from the women's team has resigned as manager after doing an amazing job bringing us up from Mm. the kind of second division there into the women's Premier League, went very close to qualifying for the first time for the women's Champions League and just missed out. And, uh, you know, I think she was very disappointed at that and has cited that in her kind of reasons for leaving. There's also then been these stories saying that she was disappointed in some of the facilities and arrangements for the women's team and it's one of the reasons she's walked away from the club uh, so you know a lot of fans have taken this very badly and think that it reflects badly again on those you know the board and the people running the club um 
there's been big focus as well on the stadium, uh, you know, that the roof might be leaking and things like that. I think for sure, uh, you know, we need some kind of investment into the stadium. And yeah, the Glazers have come forward and said they're going to be doing that. But until it's actually done, I think that's it. The fans don't believe things that are coming out of the owners and things like that. But yeah, Com, on the kind of that's the thing there's so many different things going on here a lot of the focus is on glazer out and yeah i you know would be happy to see the black of the glazers but i don't think it's realistic that fan pressure will lead to the glazers leaving but i think that kind of whole awareness of putting the policy out there that the club and the owners have like obviously taken note now that the fans are not happy and that something needs to be done about it that is the important bit. And like you, I actually think what needs to come now is whether it comes from the government side of kind of regulatory change, whether it comes from within the club to get more involved with fans and give fans some kind of say in things. That is the steps that need to happen. And then we'll make it all worthwhile. Uh, you know, I do not expect the Glazers to leave anytime soon. Maybe they will like sell a bit more shares. And over the next few years, we might see them slowly like take steps away from the club. Uh, I think, you know, there is maybe signs that some of them might be ready to cash in. We've known for a while that, you know, there's a lot of focus on Joel Glazer, who's the main one. There's also Avram, who some people will have seen getting chased by reporters on TV. Uh, But yeah, there's two or three other of the Glazer family who were shareholders and they're not interested at all in the club. And I'm sure they would be happy to sell up. So I think within the kind of Glazer family, there's probably is some kind of discord between them and they don't all agree on the way forward. So yeah, this, you know, there can be pressure that can make a difference. And of course, the business plan at the moment is weak where they've been losing all that match day revenue and there is some effect now on sponsors so yeah it is going to have some kind of effect on their thinking uh, what's going on there so I think over years we might see them sell some shares and give a bit more say and let's see whether they're like I know must the Manchester United Supporters Trust want to work on putting together a kind of fans share offer to give fans the opportunity to buy shares again and yeah that I think is the ultimate aim and would be like the best way forward to take some kind of power back towards the fans uh, you know it's not going to happen overnight but yeah hopefully we can see moves towards that um, and yeah we'll see what happens I say, before that the next game is Fulham and as I say that fans are in the stadium I think there probably will be some other protests yeah. organised again before so. that game yeah. I would expect there to be uh you know it's not going to happen every single match but i think you know we'll expect to see like once a week or something until the end of this season some kind of protest from the fans who are not happy and i, I said like a couple of weeks uh, you know, pods ago when we recorded that part of this as well is all about the fact that we've all been under covid restrictions fans have not been able to go to the matches they've not been able to meet up with mates so to actually have a reason to go and meet up now that some restrictions are being relaxed is a big part of why fans are turning up as well uh, just to see friends and it's finally time that you can go out there and express yourself after a long long time there's a lot of just that year's worth of frustration of not being able to go out support the team that yeah it's all coming out now and to Today, I think it was good to see most everything was like peaceful protests. We didn't have too much focus on the negative side. I think sometimes there's a bit too much focus on one or two people who take it too far, cause trouble. Oh, maybe you know, is. that's 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 part of why it's you know it's it's a dangerous game and it's important to make sure that you you know do try to avoid it, it going too far and taking that ne- next level. And that always will happen, as you say. But um, you know those groups need to do everything they can to try and foster that more peaceful approach, which I do think they manage to do generally pretty well, because otherwise you just shift the story. The media's attention turns to focus on 
the negatives, the fans who were disrupting the match, who were violent, who were, um, you know, basic, basically petty criminals. And I know that Ushwin said that a lot of the media in, in the US, which is obviously where a lot of the sort of peer pressure could, could be felt, was basically focused on on the fans rather than on, you know, the glazes and, and the narrative and the reasons behind why the fans were doing it. So, you know, that that's why we need to try and avoid that. It's, it's, it's not just because, you know, obviously we, we don't condone violence or we don't condone anything illegal and blah, 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 blah. It's as much for the fact that actually to be most effective, you need to make sure that you're not enabling them to play the victim and you're not enabling that media story to get away from, you know, the the real reasons um, and the real agenda behind the behind the cause. Yeah, and I think, you know, like I think you said, Colm, like our fan base, it's not just one united no. um, group with one message. There's all different groups in there. You know, even on a match day, there's loads of different areas being, you know, there's people like the, the Red Army who deal with the more like atmosphere side of it. You know, they've built this new kind of standing area they're going towards in the Stretford end. Then you have kind of the J stand singing section side of it. You know, there's other groups in there. Yeah. yeah, there's some kind of more hardcore groups like some of the guys who turned up at Carrington a couple of weeks ago to protest directly to the players. They, you know, you and they're they're also the sort you might see show up at Ed Woodward's house and things like that. <laughs> These are, you know, some of the more kind of what you'd say extreme groups. But yeah, yeah I actually the more hardcore like, slash truants from school. Well, I don't always, you know, <laughs> agree with everything they do, but I think then the kind of media message and awareness that comes from it is actually worthwhile and is things that gets the policies out there and it's you know things that have forced the government to take notice and now there is an official review of football governance going on uh, 100,000 people have signed a petition so this thing will be debated in parliament the prime minister has already spoken about it and you know that I, I think Colm you go on the cynical side saying look I can't really see what how much difference this will make but to me that even that it's being debated is like a positive step and that you know something should come out of it totally <laughs> you can be you can be cynical right and i think overall i would totally agree that it's never going to be where we would want it to be but you know every small change is a small change in the right direction it's going to have to be a, a long arduous ten, you know, tenuous it is fight. it is one of those things where you you kind of shoot for the moon and if you miss you hit a star kind of thing you know even if even if you want this ultimate outcome of Glazers out and this benevolent fan-owned Manchester United, which everyone will understand is an absolute pipe dream, you know, um, if if you only get a small amount of fan recognition in boardrooms or through share ownership schemes or a better governance project and more of a, a national uh, discussion around how the Premier League and wider footballing permit actually works and why it's probably not very good, then those are still wins because those are things that were a problem last year and the year before and the year before and have been growing ever since this kind of explosion of money into football, which is the whole issue um, at its core is, is just money, you know, and until we behave more ethically and responsibly around the game, it will just continue on this path to to something that no one really or no fan really wants to see. So even if you only end up with a fraction of kind of, you know, stuff clawed back that's still better than where where we're heading you know whether it'll be dramatic enough i mean i think the power of money will prevail um, and and we will just end up in this in the same esl place that it'll just be a more 
lengthy and circuitous route but that is just slightly cynical but it doesn't mean you shouldn't try to have an impact on on changing that or at least making it more um fan led yeah i mean i i agree with nick that you know the glazers leaving isn't actually that much of of a pipe dream necessarily because you know that cash flow isn't there at the moment like like nick said the business model is somewhat weak and we don't know how that's going to recover over the next few years but also the valuation means that they can still make a hell of a lot of money and it can still have been incredibly worthwhile and they can they can move on to the next project and the next vehicle um you know that they see similar sort of momentum and growth in so like it is possible but that it's the it's the the better the devil you know situation for me it's yeah the who's next the only sort of people who can really afford that sort of money as we, we've said many times are aren't necessarily going to be better owners they might be better owners for the football club in that man city's owners are better owners and you yeah. know in that they invest in the community and um you know you know there's obviously the youth academy and the stadium's top tier and stuff like that but in terms of where the money comes from that that's another matter i mean the, the, there'll be i think the vast majority of united fans will never ever get over the the manner in which the glazers were um, able to take over the club and also mm. the um, kind of parasitic nature they then ran have ran the club um in the, in the ensuing years however they've been allowed to do that by the way Manchester United Football Club was as a business entity essentially and how successful we were commercially and all those things so it's such a unique situation um that it really does have no comparison in world football yeah. however you can really never get away from that just not nice feeling of it's essentially a cash cow for them and they didn't even buy it with their own money and all those things which are absolutely valid so they will never ever 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 be loved which is genius even, isn't it in a way like how, it, it, how of do course I do it is that? i mean yeah exactly <laughs> but and, and you know those are the systems in place however my my feeling really is that they are invested in the club in the sense that they enjoy having huge sporting brands clearly they have them yeah. in america they now have them here and that they enjoy those being profitable and they enjoy being the owners of those biggest most successful clubs and i do think in that sense they want us to be successful not in the sense that they'll do anything to to create that and um, they won't invest their own money and they won't go absolutely you know mad like a chelsea or a city or anything like that you know they are very much a business first but i do think they want manchester United to be successful they just hinder that as much as they do you know allow it which is just mm -hmm. obviously a, a flawed perspective but i do think there is an attachment and involvement there that goes beyond pure profit even though that will always be the driving factor and for that reason i don't think they will relinquish control of manchester united for simply you know, making a four times return on their investment. I say investment, it's not an investment because they didn't put up their own money. But, you know, that valuation that we have now, four billion or whatever it is, and people thinking, well, that's a tidy sum that they can they can take mm. now and be happy. I don't think, you know, that's the be all and end all for them. You know, they're they're rich beyond imagination at this point. You yeah. Know, there's I don't think there's walk away money there, to be honest. It would just be if they didn't want the headache of all the issues that were surrounding Manchester United. But the more likely scenario is that we go on to return to success under Ole with a very good squad. You know, we'll win Civil War hopefully here in a week and a half or whatever it is. Um, and, and hopefully we continue on that. And I think if we do, you, you'll see them for for a decade at least yeah. to come. And I, and I could see that as well. And I think that the, you know, the fact that the Super League crumbled and collapsed in on itself like a dying star that it did 
it, it may give, and also, you know, uh, Woodward's departure, if they get that CEO appointment right, that can have a huge that can make a huge difference and have a huge impact on the optics and how the fan sees it. If you if you get you know if you were to bring a Van der Sar type in, but also it may give them chance to you know reconsider their approach in line. Yeah, with I mean, all I mean the if, you, if, you, if you if you went back if you went back in time ten years and put you know uh, whoever's in charge of Man City in charge and brought in Guardiola and gave the exact same money in, even though it's money that is generated by the club and minus all the dividends and all the interest payments and all that kind of stuff, we have still spent. A, as much as anyone except Man City, essentially. So if, if you went back in time and just made better decisions than Ed Woodward and various managers, you know, you have years of success. So Manchester United, with, without the, I mean, what the Glazer takeover has proven is that Manchester United is too big to fail. We will always be successful due to our immense revenue generation. And that's why we, as a very particular club in world football, were absolutely ripe for exploitation in a way that they could buy us without putting up any money and continue to run us constantly taking out money and paying interest with our revenue and only using small portions or or smaller portions than could be used of our own revenue to to keep us you know relevant and successful and if that money had been better invested we, we could have won trophies upon trophies within that period under that awful ownership which just goes to show that it will it will go right again soon you know within the next 10 years Manchester United will will win big trophies under the current ownership structure which is an absolutely awful one but that's because Manchester United are are so huge you know and that's just the way it will be so as you say they only have to get it right with football appointments they just have to put the right people in charge and those things will happen because the money's there to be pumped in as much as we all hate you know how they've how they've come into that position yeah no and like I don't know if you've seen the news like actually today that basically the favorite for taking over from Ed Woodward is actually Richard Arnold who is just an Ed Woodward clone unfortunately who's been with the club since 2007 he's an accountant who actually he took Woodward's job when Woodward moved into David Gill's job mm. and that I guess is just a progression for him he's someone like I said that he's been under the glazers for nearly as long as Woodward Woodward is there from day one I think Arnold came in about two years down the line but has been there for more than a decade but yeah this is what we kind of don't really want to see because it's just going to be more of the same like you know Edwin van der Sar or something would be the ideal way where you'd say all right the club is changing they do want to look at football it's not business first but yeah this is going to be a vital appointment to see what direction the Glazers want to take the club in what 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 you could say is that um you know whilst whilst there's a name Richard Arnold isn't something that excites or inspires me you know what the club would say is that the structure underneath him has changed with the appointments of of the likes of Fletcher and Matt. What's his name? Judge is it? Um, mm. Anyway, with, with those appointments in place, the footballing decisions supposedly aren't going to be necessarily handled by Richard Arnold, and he's there to facilitate and and act as a safeguard and whatnot, right? And to focus on the commercial side of things. So, you know, the if those appointments aren't vanity appointments. And if they are, but, yeah, I think you're talking about John Myrtle, right? Yeah. Whereas uh, Matt Judge is more for dealing, negotiating yeah. transfers. You're talking about the new director of that, football. That's the thing is, so, we get we get a ton of PR regards the kind of Woodward period now, particularly under Ole and this new transformational committee transfer situation. This database that assesses 15 million right backs and picks Aaron Wan Bissaka, you know, and a lot of that I believe is PR. 
having said that, our transfer record now is is vastly improved. You know, if you go back over the last five, six signings, it's it's much better. Our hoovering up of youth talent is definitely heading in the right direction. And even the names we're linked with now and the manner in where we're doing the business, I think even leaving Jaden Sancho last year and stuff like that, just hints toward being slightly better slightly better i say because we're still doing last minute deals for cavani that seems to have worked out more through you know a bit of luck than anything else and mm. not all the same i don't know i would say it's hits. i would say it's a lot better but like you say still yeah far it's definitely upward perfect. definitely an upward trajectory i'm just i just have a lot of mistrust of the pr that we're fed around it so i still just want to see over a longer term you know if, if country yeah. stays there with ole then i think and and the way they buy and sell players and the way they structure the team and the way they generate that kind of philosophy of football within the club, I think that could be successful even if Edward would stay on because yeah. the sign's already there that's getting better, do you know what I mean? So we're hoping that this, you know, United fans who want someone to come in and do Edward Wood's job and suddenly make us, you know, a monolith of, of tick-attack at world football again, you know, it's he's the wrong guy to do it. You know, it, that person doesn't really exist, to be honest. It, it, it should be a structural cultural thing through the entire club it can't be one person doing that you know that, that doesn't exist i don't think anywhere no and yeah and like you know we've already said things have definitely been going in the right direction already i mean there's a lot of negativity from fans around the club at the moment and understandably so after the super league stuff after Especially hearing tonight. About, you know yeah after yeah tonight <laughs> losing after like the women's manager resigning you know nicky bott as well resigned you know mm. and these we know are good football people and they've left the club but we don't exactly know why but most people are saying it's to do with things they're not happy about what's going on inside the club but we shouldn't forget that really Ole has done a damn good job. This squad is improving massively. This is the best season. Whatever happens now, this will be the best season. Um, I, all right. I was going to say whatever happens now. Some people will argue that Mourinho obviously won the Europa League, but I was going to say this is the best season since Alex Ferguson left the club because, yeah, we're finishing comfortably top four. We're going to a European final. Obviously, if we win that, then I think for me it's inarguable that it's the best season. We'll see if we lose that, then, yeah, we can have a debate about it. But we are in a relatively good place compared to where we've been uh, for several, several years. And, yeah, we shouldn't forget that. Um, you know, that's why for me the main, main, like big the big point when we talk about protests what's going on the field is there has to be a balance for me between not affecting the team on the pitch whereas there is some fans that say look it's all good if we get matches called off if we're losing if it's affecting the revenue this is the best way forward and like I say that for me goes a bit beyond the line of where I think the yeah. best way forward is for all the protests and things like that and uh, you know I've said before go and check out what somebody like the Man United Supporters Trust are saying because they have a you know a clearly set out policy of what they're aiming for and it's more about the fans having more of a say it's more about a long-term uh, share system and it's just about changing the way the club is run and things like that and that is the, what I want to see happening and I yeah. think it can happen uh, you know we'll come back to this discussion again for sure uh, before we wrap up today I want to give the usual shout out to our sponsors Manscaped um, <laughs> you know I've, we've been doing this for a few months now and I'm sure the regular guys all know about it um, but yeah I'm contractually obliged to talk about this for 60 seconds so whether you like it or not you're going to have to listen to it again uh, Man. so yeah United Hour is brought to you by Manscaped who is the best in men's below the waist grooming uh, the big news from Manscaped is after products and yeah thanks to all of our fans out there and there's actually quite a few of you who have bought
support Manscaped products using our code, which helps us massively. Uh, you know, when we first got this collaboration with Manscaped, I thought it might only be a month or so. But yeah, enough of you have been using our code United Hour to get your 20% off that, yeah, they've stuck with us for several months and it's helped us through a kind of COVID period where sometimes we might have costs and things like that. Uh, Guy, I know both of you as well, we've enjoyed the products, the lawnmower, which is your below the belt groomer. There's also the weed whacker, which is for your nose, ear, hair. And now they've released an aftershave is the new product. So anyone who's tried their stuff and liked it, go out and check out. It's the same kind of smell that you get from some of the other stuff you get in their big package. There's a crop reserver and uh, ball toner and things like that over there. Uh, that's all part of that big perfect package. So yeah, go and check it out. Manscaped.com. Use the code United Hour and get your 20% off. Um, we will come back after, let's see, yeah, we've got a five-day rest. So I think we should come back after full and then yeah last game of the season is Wolves and then yeah we'll have a bit of a rest before going out to Gdansk for the Europa League final we'll come back at least once or twice before the end of the season we'll have to pop in a 20 minute bumper De Gea versus Henderson episode because we didn't even speak about it today yeah, well, we'll have a chance to talk about that before the final on who gets that slot. Uh, you know, we've already covered that bit of that case Rashford or Pogba. And then, yeah, there is still going to be a couple of places that need to be centred in that final team. But I think that is what these last two league games are all about. Who cements their place in that Europa League final? Uh, yeah, we will see you back soon. More importantly, who cements their place on the podcast for those episodes, right, with me now back Huge. in the... Oh Back yeah, well that's why you you just turned up at the business end of the season Absolutely. after everybody's been slogging hard, you know, just to come and take these big matches. I know, yeah. Although, although I've got to say, just for context, everybody, so the the lads have recently decided to start doing video calls, um, and then all of a sudden today, the day that I turn up. <laughs> Now we'll go back to Skype, we'll keep cameras off, we'll just focus on mics. <laughs> Don't want to look at that ugly mug. Uh, no, I wanted to, uh, we were going old school, yeah, back to back to our roots of where we started, yeah. We, you Don't want to give you more than you can handle. Ah, there you go. Yeah, exactly. No, yeah, we do want to take this podcast forward, but yeah, it's probably going to be in the summer or something that we look at it, but we will. you will appear on video one day, I promise you, you'll see us over there. But yeah, yeah, yeah do go and check us out on all the socials. Uh, thanks again to our Patreon guys who keep backing us. If you're not joining us for the match day Discord, then yeah, drop us a line. Match day meltdowns. Right there. Huh? Match day meltdowns. <laughs> yeah, match day meltdowns, exactly. A few, uh, few podcast members kind of... are about to get kicked out of that uh, match day chat for being uh, even more depressing than any other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go and have a look at the Patreon. And yeah, you can join in over there whenever you want. And yeah, we will see you back next week. Good night from me. Cheerio. Love you all. Podcast Network. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting and loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.